Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at court.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit core.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue to celebrate 30 years of Matthew's ministry, I wanna introduce you to Teresa and Mitchell Early. They're going to be leading us in the reading of scripture today. Hi, I'm Teresa and this is Mitchell Early. Mitchell participates in Matthew's ministry of the Family Night Out program. The program um, is on Saturday nights once a month and he goes there and he meets with friends. He um, does all sorts of creative activities. Um, He enjoys himself, they sing, they dance, they just have a blast. So I want to thank you all who participate in Matthew's ministry because he really enjoys it. And my husband and I enjoy that time alone while he's at Matthew's ministry. I also wanted to share that he is a super scooper at the Golden Scoop here in Kansas City. And they collaborate with Matthew's ministry. So again, I wanna say thank you. As we continue in worship, I invite you to hear the words of the scripture from the Gospel of Luke. John went throughout the region of the Jordan River, calling for people to be baptized, to show they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. When everyone was being baptized, Jesus also was baptized. While he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven. You are my son, whom I dearly love. In you, I find happiness. And in Matthew 28, we read, Jesus came near and spoke to them. I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Did you know that church was Jesus' idea? Why did he think church was important? Jesus commanded his disciples to baptize people, but what does baptism really do? Jesus told his followers to remember him when he was gone with bread and wine. And that sounds good, but how does that work? Three powerful gifts, church, baptism, and communion. I wonder, have you ever been baptized? And if you have, when were you baptized? And do you remember anything about it? Many of us were baptized as infants. I was baptized in the Catholic church as a baby. And the thing was, my parents never really talked about it when I was growing up. There was just a photo of my baptism in my, you know, in my baby book. And, uh, and so when I was 14, I gave my life to Christ in a little Pentecostal church. And they said, well, that baptism didn't count and you got to do it again. I'm like, okay, what does it mean? And they said, just something we do because Jesus told us to do it. That was the explanation I got. And it didn't make much sense to me, but I'm like, okay, let's do it. So I went to the swimming pool at an apartment complex. My pastor dunked me down, brought me back up. But you know, I felt like I missed out on something then too. And, and when I felt called to be a pastor, I thought, 
I want to make sure that everybody who's baptized understands what this means. And if it's a child that their parents understand so that they can explain to that child as they're growing up, this is what baptism means. Parents, if your kids have been baptized, you're meant to explain to your children this is what baptism means. We try to do that after every baptism or before every baptism in all of our services of worship. We try to give you a, a, just a thumbnail sketch of what baptism means. My aim today is for you to understand what baptism means. It's more than that. I not only want you to understand it, I want you, if you have never been baptized, I'd like for you to sign up today and say, I'm ready, I wanna be baptized. And if you have been baptized, I want you to remember your baptism every day and understand that this has power in your daily life. It's not something that just happened in the past and you forget about it. It's something that is meant to shape who you are in the present and every day going forward. So let's talk about baptism. I actually got to show you some pictures. So in, uh, in uh, the summertime, usually in August, uh, one of our partner ministries, Healing House, they just do such a great job. And they, they are a, a transitional housing ministry where people are coming out of prison, people coming out of jail, people who have been in addiction, people who have been homeless, where they have a chance to find home and people who will love them and care for them. And they find Christ there too. So many of the people, you know, find Christ at Healing House. And there are many whose lives have been so broken. And, and every year in August, they offer a baptismal service in a swimming pool. I didn't get a chance to be there this year. Usually I'm there, but I wanted to show you some of the pictures because they always touch my heart. Some of our pastors were there, and this is, uh, this is one of the photos. Is they're getting ready to baptize someone. Pastor Ann and Pastor Daryl are there, and, and I love, look, just look at the faces of the people who are being baptized. Some people who felt like, you know, how could God possibly love me? There's Pastor Jeff Kirby and Pastor Tom Langhofer, and, and going down in the water and knowing I'm going to be forgiven. I'm going to be cleansed. There's Pastor Scott and Pastor Jim West from Colonial Presbyterian Church coming out of the water. And, and then I love the reflection, the faces as people come out of the water. I mean, look, just look at this. It's just like, woo. I mean, there's just a celebration and excitement. I love this guy. Look at this. There's Pastor Tom and Pastor Jeff again. And, and, then, and then I love this woman, just the sheer joy, you know, of this baptismal experience. And then finally, I love this picture right here. Like the sense of community and I belong, and I've been forgiven, and I'm new. And, and you know, what I like, I don't want you to be rebaptized if you've been baptized. I just want you to know what this means so that you might experience on a regular basis the joy of baptism, the power of baptism in your life. Okay, we'd say that baptism is a sacrament. The word sacrament uh, refers to something that's been made holy or dedicated to God. And so when we think about sacraments, Catholics have seven sacraments, seven acts that they routinely do as a way of conveying God's grace. Most Protestants only really accept two as actual sacraments because we've defined a sacrament as something Jesus, uh, Jesus intentionally told us to do. Although I would say there's more than two and, and probably you could make a case for the seven in the Catholic church. And our Orthodox friends say the seven sacraments of the Catholic church are major sacraments, but they say there's an innumerable, a countless number of things that, that God uses as sacraments in people's lives. So what is a sacrament? And here's the definition I'd offer to you. It's loosely based on something St. Augustine said, I think in the fourth century or early fifth century, a sacrament is a visible symbol or action that represents and actually imparts God's grace. Let me say that again, a visible symbol or action, something that we can see or feel or touch that represents and actually imparts, this is important, actually imparts God's grace. What is God's grace? God's grace is God's undeserved favor. It's God's gifts to us. So, so we don't only believe that this is a, a nice symbol, 
that it's a nice ceremony, that it's something that's cute, that everybody should have done. It's, it's, you know, no, we believe that in the sacraments, God is actually at work through them. So the outward invisible sign is just showing us, it's painting a picture for us of what we're inviting God to do inside our lives. And these two things go hand in hand, the outward invisible sign and the inward and spiritual grace or this inward act of God. So again, not just a sign or a, a way of, you know, a, a cute ceremony. No, we're actually inviting God to do something. And God is saying, I will do this thing inside of you. And so what we want to do, know today is what is the thing that God does through baptism? And Christians have grown in their understanding of that over, really even throughout the Bible we find that, that there's one basic idea at first and then through Jesus we begin to see more things and then the, the apostles begin to see more and across the history of the Christian church there have been more ways of thinking about what baptism does and communicates and how it gives to us the grace of God. But before we get there, I want to just give you a little bit of history. So if you read your Bible, you're going to find, starting in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, you're going to find that the people in the Torah, there were times God commanded the Israelites to bathe for ritual purification. Sometimes they were bathing their clothes. Sometimes they were bathing themselves. Sometimes they were being sprinkled with water. But this was a outward and visible sign or act that represented something that was actually happening inside. And so I want to take you all the way to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 26, this is an example. So God says to the Israelites, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be cleansed of all your pollution. And you can just imagine the priests or the prophets who are sprinkling water on people, you know, as they're talking about this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be cleansed of all your pollution. I will cleanse you of all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Now, was it the water that was sprinkled on them that did this? No, God was doing this. He was gonna change them from the inside out. But the water was a sign of what God was doing inside. So again, something actually is going to happen along with this sign act. All right. So, uh, so with that in mind, I just want to remind you what happens with Jesus. Jesus comes down to John the Baptist. He's his cousin. John the Baptist is preparing people for the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And we read, when everyone was being baptized, Jesus also was baptized. When he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven saying, you are my son whom I dearly love. In you, I find happiness. Now, I love this. The meaning of baptism begins to change here. Now, uh, early Christians said, why did Jesus go get baptized? Because he didn't need to repent of anything. We believe that he was the only sinless human being who's ever been around since before Adam you know, ate the apple. And so why did he have to get in the water and be baptized? And the reality was John the Baptist says the same thing. He says, wait, I have need to be baptized by you. And yet, you know, you're, you know, you're wanting me to baptize you? And, uh, and Jesus says, let it be so for now, or let, let all these things be fulfilled. In essence, what Jesus was doing is he was setting the path for the rest of us. We are all disciples of Jesus. We are his followers. He's gonna step into the water so that we know that we're meant to step into the water. If you wanna follow Jesus, you gotta get in the water. There's no excuse for you not to. Jesus himself, who was sinless, got in the water. What's your excuse for not doing it? Right, and so we all need this. And Jesus didn't need it, but he did it in order to help us understand, A, that he identifies with us, and B, to call us to do what he had done. All right, so baptism for Jesus, though, I want you to notice, not only conveys forgiveness. So John the Baptist says, repent and be baptized and, and receive the forgiveness of sins. But for Jesus, it's more than that. For Jesus, he has the Holy, he sees the Holy Spirit coming down from heaven and landing upon him. So baptism now becomes associated not only with forgiveness, but with the baptism or the immersion of the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit filling us. And from this time on in Christian circles, so from the time of the early church on, 
we lay hands on those who are being baptized and pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on them. These two things are linked together, baptism and the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the outward sign of baptism is accompanied with something you can't see, but the Holy Spirit beginning to work in our hearts and lives. Now the Spirit's already at work in us, but we're inviting the Spirit in our hearts. Something happens, we believe, when the Holy Spirit begins to take residence inside of us after our baptism. Now, again, the Spirit can work in us before our baptism, but, but there's some connection there that happens between baptism and the Holy Spirit. Then, this, then the third thing that happens, Jesus hears the voice of God saying, you are my dearly loved son. And from that time on, Christians began to understand that in baptism, we were also being adopted as God's children. It wasn't just Jesus, but that God is looking at, looking at us in our baptism and saying, you are mine, you belong to me, and I love you. Imagine that, which of us doesn't want to be loved by God, but the act of baptism is an outward invisible way of expressing some interior deep truth, the grace of God, that you are loved by God and God has chosen you. And that's why when we baptize anybody, children or adults, we name them again. We name them as God's child. You were born as a child of your parents. Now you're also a child of God. Now we're all children of God one way or another, but, but in baptism, there's a sort of special adoption that takes place where God is claiming, no, you really are my child. Now, I want you to remember what Jesus said when Jesus uh, prepared to leave the earth. He told his disciples, now you go. This is called the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Now you go and make disciples of all nations. So go out. If you're my followers, you go tell other people about me and baptize them, right? So this becomes an imperative, a gospel imperative that you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then that you do, that you command them to, uh, you teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so this is what the church begins to do. It begins to, to call people to Jesus, to invite them, and then to baptize them, and then to teach them to live into their baptism, right? This is discipleship. So seven weeks after Jesus uttered these works, he, he's already ascended to heaven. And, uh, and it's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles, and they begin preaching in Jerusalem. And 3,000 people that day give their lives to Christ. And on that day, uh, when they're asking, what do we have to do? What should we do, Peter? And Peter says this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So once more, he calls people to repentance. He calls them to have a change of heart and mind so they can follow Jesus and not live the way they'd lived before. So have a change of, of mind, a change of heart, a change of behavior, and step into the water. It's maybe the pool of Siloam. We don't know. The only pool I can think of big enough around Jerusalem, around the upper room, where, where they would have, uh, where they would have you know, been able to baptize that many people. It was used for those sort of ritual purification. So, you know, get in the water and they start baptizing these people, 3,000 on that day. And he promised that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and forgiveness. I want you to notice that again. Baptism is an outward sign of what God is doing in forgiving us. And it's not just of our sins in the past. There was some confusion in the early church about this. I think it was around the fourth or fifth century where there were people who began to say, or maybe the third century, they began to say, well, if it forgives our sins, we should wait until the moment before we die and be baptized so it forgives all of our sins. And, but the church worked through that and said, no, 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 this is a promise. It's not only that God has forgiven the sins in the past, it's a promise that all the sins you commit in the future, he's saying, I'll forgive you of those too when you humble yourself before me, when you repent. We don't have to be baptized again and again and again every time we've sinned. No, in our baptism, God makes a promise to us. I have forgiven the sins in the past and I will forgive those in the future when you come to me and, and call upon your baptism. Call upon me who made a promise in your baptism to forgive your sins. All right, so those three things, I want you to catch this. There's, there's one more in this and that is this idea of the rite of initiation. So how do you become a follower of Jesus? You repent and you get baptized. So it becomes a sign that you have joined Jesus' people. Last week, we talked about the church, the ecclesia, the community that belongs to Jesus. 
And how do you become a part of the community that belongs to Jesus? You step into the water, right? So baptism is the sign by which you receive the gift. Another grace of God is the church. You become a part of the family of Christ around the world of every denomination. And in the church, you become a part of the family of Christ in, in an individual com- congregation. Roman Catholics, interestingly enough, the Roman Catholic church, you know, doesn't, they have, you know, they, they great, I love Roman Catholics, but, uh, but they, you know, won't allow Protestants like me to take Holy Communion lest I be taking it wrongly and they're trying to protect me from harm by, you know, not fully understanding and recognizing the body and blood of Christ in Holy Communion, but they do recognize our baptisms here. They don't recognize how we might, you know, how we might share communion and they won't let me take communion there, but they will recognize our baptism because they recognize baptism is, is that sign by which God brings us into the church universal every, everywhere. All right, so, uh, so a rite of initiation, forgiveness, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All right, so there's more than that, but I wanna at least start with that. So when it comes to the Holy Spirit, you may notice when we baptize here at Church of the Resurrection, and those of you on TV don't get to see this very often in our live services, that's, that's what we do. But when we baptize, uh, after the baptism, we take anointing oil and, and I or whoever's baptizing, place our thumb into the anointing oil and then we make the sign of the cross upon that child, that infant, that adult. And then we lay our hands on them and we pray, we invoke or pray for the Holy Spirit to fill them. This is because the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus in his baptism and in the book of Acts in the early church, all but one time, the, in, the impartation of the Holy Spirit followed baptism. Cornelius's family was, baptized, was filled, filled with the Holy Spirit and then baptized, but all the rest of the time, the Holy Spirit came after baptism. The apostles would lay their hands on people and pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon those that they were baptizing. And so we find this idea of baptism and the laying on of hands for the Holy Spirit. Our Catholic friends call this chrismation. Chrism is the word for this special anointing oil. And chrismation is something that happens. They consider it a separate sacrament, but at the moment after baptism, you're anointed. Catholics do the same thing and pray for the invocation, pray for the Holy Spirit to work. And we believe that actually happens. Even in the infants, the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts and the minds of people at that moment. All right, so in addition to this, I wanna just mention a couple other things we find about baptism in the New Testament. So initiation, forgiveness, the Holy Spirit, But as the apostles continue to reflect upon the meaning of baptism, they look at that symbol and it's like looking through a kaleidoscope. They see something more. They see something here or something there that that symbol also means. And so there's undoubtedly a plethora of things that these symbols mean in addition to these ones that I've mentioned. So let me just mention some that Paul mentions. So he notes in in, uh, Romans 6, 3 through 5, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So in our baptisms, we are joining, we are accepting Christ's death for us. We are joining with Jesus, participating with him in his death. He died for us and we're accepting his death for us in our baptisms. Therefore, we have been buried with him by by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And so he repeats this a couple of different places in his epistles. Paul says, we are baptized. We, we join with Jesus in his death. And then when we are raised up in baptism, the water begins to fall off our head. We're put in the water, bring, brought back out, to, you know, however we baptize, that that act of baptism is also identifying with Jesus' resurrection. This is a promise of eternal life. It's a promise that this life is not all there is, that the worst thing isn't the last thing. That isn't the last thing. That is also a part of what baptism is about. And then reflecting upon this idea of baptism as a beginning, a rite of initiation, Paul also goes on to see the connection between baptism and what happens in Judaism and circumcision. 
So you remember on the eighth day after a child is born, a boy child is brought to the priest and they are to be, uh, they are to be circumcised. Actually, this often happened in the homes, the circumcision. And so, uh, so they are circumcised. And that act of circumcision, it was a physical outward act that conveyed something deeply spiritual, the grace of God. And when the boy was baptized, they became known as a B'nai B'rit. And a B'nai B'rit means a child of the covenant. They are a part of God's covenant people at the age of eight days old. They weren't old enough to say, I wanna be circumcised. No, that wasn't their choice. Their parents were faithful Jews and they said, we want our child, or faithful Israelites, we want our child to be a child of the covenant. They are a Jewish child or an Israelite child. And so they were circumcised on the eighth day and then they grew into that covenant. So this is very important. So, so Paul's looking at this and he's seeing a connection between baptism and circumcision. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision, he writes in Colossians 2, 11 and 12, by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. All right, there's one last little thing. There's so many more we can talk about, about what baptism means, but one last little one I wanna mention. And this is in Galatians 3, 26 through 28. And here Paul, Paul gives us another picture of what baptism means. He says, you are all God's children, all of you, through faith in Christ Jesus, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You've put on Jesus in your baptism. There is therefore neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Imagine that in a world that's so hyper-polarized today and even the Christian church is so deeply divided, even churches you know, of the same denomination are divided, right? That's what happens. We're divided here at Resurrection on different things. I'm certain of that. I don't really feel it so much right now, but I felt it in the past. And you know, we have, I, I just think about this. All of us who put on Christ, who've been baptized into Christ, have clothed ourselves in Christ. And because of that, despite all of the kind of differences the world lifts up for us, in Christ, there is neither Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, right? They're, they're, we are all one in Christ. Yes, we still have these things that are identifying markers of us, but they are not the most important identifying markers of us. I care far less about which political party you're a part of than that you are my brother or sister in Christ, right? That's part of what baptism teaches us. It's part of what it does is it communicates to us that we are a part of a family. That's part of the grace of God is you belong with these people who are co-baptized with you. They have been baptized like you and therefore we are one in Christ. All right. Uh, I want to take on a couple of questions about baptism briefly. Uh, so one of those has to do with baptizing babies. And I want to say just a word about this because it's confusing to a lot of people. And, uh, and for me, I came out of, you know, when I came to faith, it was in a Pentecostal church, don't baptize babies in college at Oral Roberts University, studying what's called pedo-baptism or infant baptism. I was persuaded that this is actually something, it's not something I'm willing to die for. It's not something I think you're a bad Christian if you don't embrace, but it is something that I think there's a good reason to embrace the idea of baptizing infants. And I want you to know why 70% of, of all Christians around the world, the churches that they're a part of, 70% affirm and practice infant baptism. That's surprising in America. We, you know, we're surrounded by a lot of Baptists and others, and I love my Baptist friends, and people sometimes call me a Baptist Methodist, but 70% but, but of all Christians around the world practice infant baptism. That's the Catholic Church, the largest group of Christians around the world. It's the Eastern Orthodox Church, the second largest group. It's the Anglican churches and the Episcopal churches, the third largest group. It's the Methodist churches and, uh, and it's the Presbyterians and it's the Lutherans. All of those folks and others practice infant baptism. Why do they do that when Peter said, repent in order to be baptized? Babies can't repent. So how is it that we're actually 
you know, baptizing babies. And, and isn't baptism really a sign of what you're doing and coming to faith? No, baptism is primarily a sign of what God is gonna do inside of you, not what you're doing. You're accepting that. When we practice infant baptism, we recognize that God is at work in the lives of children before they ever come to know who he is or his love. And we recognize that, that children growing up in Christian homes are going to grow into that baptism every step along the way. So I wanna mention just a couple of things. And by the way, uh, this isn't just all those groups. If you think back to the great theologians of the church, St. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, you go back to the Protestant reformers. They were questioning everything in Catholicism and yet Zwingli and Calvin and Luther all accepted infant baptism. Mar uh, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, the great evangelical revival of the 18th century, baptized babies for the reasons I'm about to share with you. So sometimes people will say, well, it's not in the Bible, infant baptism. And you know, those of us who argue for infant baptism would say, well, maybe or maybe not. In Acts chapter 16 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16, we, we find three examples of entire households being baptized because of the faith of the parent. So we find in 1615, Acts 1615, Lydia and her household were baptized. She was probably a single mom. Uh, the word household, oikos in Greek, signifies typically a family with children. So Lydia and her children were baptized. In Acts 1633, the Philippian jailer and everyone in his household were immediately baptized when the Philippian jailer gave his life to Christ or accepted Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1.16, the household of Stephanus, Stephanus, Paul says, I baptize the household of Stephanus in Corinth. Household, again, oikos typically means uh, a family with children. So, you know, we don't know how old those children were, but what seems to be the case is that when people had this sense of what baptism meant, they thought, why would this not be for my children too? And, and if they came from a Jewish background, they knew that children were circumcised on the eighth day after they were born, and they were a part of the people of God after that. What I love about baptism, as opposed to circumcision, first of all, it's a lot less painful. The second thing is that circumcision was only for boys, and baptism is for boys and girls who are both now becoming children of God. All right, so when we think about this, one, one idea here is that there were people in the, in the New Testament who had their entire families baptized because of their faith. The second is this idea Paul connects baptism to circumcision, and we know that was for little children. The third was this idea that Jesus said, suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me for of such is the kingdom of God. And so there were people who were bringing their children to Jesus so that Jesus could bless them. And the disciples saying, no, no, he's way too important for children. You know, they're not gonna understand anyway, just keep them away. And Jesus chastised the disciples, says, no, 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 no. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So you don't drive them away, you, you, you bring them to me. And then when we understand what baptism means, that it means that God conveys forgiveness for us, when we understand that it means that God gives us the Holy Spirit, that we are a child of God, that he names us as his children, that we become a part of the family of God. As Christians begin to look at all of these things, they begin to say, why would we not want this for our children too? And so in a church that baptizes children, here's the responsibility. The parents have to be able to say, I will teach my child about Jesus. I will raise them up to know day by day what it means to follow Christ. I'm gonna pray for them every day. I'm gonna teach them the scriptures. I'm gonna bring them to church and vacation Bible school and Sunday school. This is my, my responsibility because I'm having my child baptized. I'm promising to do these things so that they can receive, so that they can actually experience the grace of God given through baptism. As a church family, we promise that we're gonna surround those children with love. We're gonna be there for them when, we, when they need us in vacation Bible school or Sunday school or mentors in youth group or confirmation because that's what baptism means. It's, it's when we baptize a child, we're promising that we're gonna help them get it. They're gonna grow into their baptism. So there's not some magic moment when most children, if, if things have worked properly, and if we as parents have nurtured our children in the faith after their baptism, that there's not one magic moment where suddenly they're saved. They've been becoming saved, becoming followers of Jesus. They've been growing in their love for Jesus every step along the way from as early as they could possibly remember. 
I saw the power of this 30 plus years ago when I received a telephone call from the police department and they asked if I could come to what was then called Humana Hospital or maybe it was Suburban Hospital. Today it's Overland Park Regional. And they said that a family that was attending our church that their son had been hit by a car, an automobile, just a little guy. And I didn't know anything more. I, I got in my car and I drove as fast as I could safely to the hospital. I ran into the emergency room, not knowing if he was alive. And when I got there, I saw the nurses and the doctors just lining the room and, the, and Todd and Kathy holding their little boy, Austin, in their arms and the tears flowing down the faces and they couldn't do anything. They couldn't save him. And they looked up at me and they said, Pastor Adam, would you please baptize Austin? And so I sat down next to them and I took his, his shoulders and his head and my arms. I just cradled him and they held on to him as well. And, and one of the nurses handed me a basin of water and I took the water and I baptized him in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we gave him to Jesus. And you see, he'd already passed and I believed he was already in heaven. But for them to see that and to know that, for them to know that this child had been covered in Christ's grace, to know that he had been resurrected with Jesus, to know that whatever sins he might've committed as a little boy had been forgiven, to know that he belonged to God, that he was God's precious child. The, the, the power of that act in that moment meant everything. And I'm weeping and they're weeping. And this is the power of these acts is they communicate something to us about what God does inside of us that we can't see but that is very, very real. I talked to Austin's parents. We've been, I just felt this connection with them over the last, well, ever since, and found out that this week would have been Austin's, I think it would have been his 36th birthday. And he's grown up in heaven. His baptism didn't lead him. It didn't make it possible for him to go to heaven. It was a sign of what God was doing in him and through him and for him and who he was to God. All right, baptism is an outward and, si outward and visible sign. That act is a sign of God conveying, God actually giving grace to us. All right, so the second question that we ask, uh, that many people ask about baptism is how much water? And this is a question the early church asked too. How much water is enough to be baptized? For the Jewish people, they said, if you can, if you can uh, have this ritual purification in moving water and in, in, in spring water or river water, then do that. And if you can't, then have at least this amount of water and ideally it should be rainwater. And so there was all these you know, ways that you looked at how much was enough water to the, for the ritual purification. When it came to baptism, uh, by the end of the first century, the beginning of the second century, there was a document called the Didache, the teaching of the 12 apostles. And it dates to about the time we think maybe of the Gospel of John or, or shortly after that. And, uh, and in it, it talks about baptism. I think it's chapter seven and it talks about baptism. And, and it says that if you can use living water, that is stream water or running water, uh, use that like the Jordan River. But if you don't have access to that, then you can use stationary water. Uh, if you can use cold water, it was, I think, thought that it'd drive out the demons if you had cold water. So you use cold water and it really perks you up. But if not, warm water's fine. And if you don't have any of those things, it says take water and pour three times over the head of the one being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So starting with the first century, late first century, early second century, people were also taking water and they were pouring water on top of the head of the one being baptized. This is why in our baptisms, we take three handfuls of water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is this is what the early church did. And, and when we do that, I, I see pastors sometimes and they just take a little bit of water and kind of dabble it on there. 
Not me, man, I, this is the Baptist in me, I guess. But you know, when it says take, you know, take water and pour it on top of the head, I'm gonna take a cupful, a handful. I'm gonna pour in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now we baptize by immersion here too. So we have an outdoor immersion baptistry at our Leewood location. And we love to do baptisms there as well. And I've done them in the River Jordan and other places. So here's the question though. How much water do we have to have in order to be really baptized? I remember one woman I baptized, her friend called and said, well, you haven't really been baptized because you just had you know, water poured on your head and you gotta be baptized all the way in the water. Let me just remind you, the water is the outward invisible sign of something else. The something else is the grace of God. It's not contingent upon how much water you have. You don't have more grace because you were baptized in an ocean than if you were baptized in a swimming pool. You don't have more grace if you were baptized with 3,000 gallons of water or three handfuls of water. This is the outward invisible sign. The water is the outward invisible sign of what God is doing inside of us. I, I think about wedding rings and wedding rings are, are another one of those kind of signs. They stand as a sign of the love between two people and the covenant they've made with each other. And if I bought LaVon a one-tenth of a carat diamond ring to get married with her, was she less, less married than if I could afford a 10 carat diamond ring? And the answer is absolutely not. The ring is only a sign of something deeper and more profound than that. And so the quantity of water doesn't matter. Having said that, I really enjoy immersing people when possible. Uh, I enjoy being able to take people and put them in the water and bring them back up. But that doesn't work for everybody. And it doesn't work within the context of our worship service. And I think uh, the ability to baptize by immersion or by sprinkling or by pouring helps us to be able to baptize anywhere at any time. And it's not the quantity of water that matters. It's the grace of God that we're signifying by whatever quantity of water that we are using. All right. So I want to end with these two invitations I gave you when we began. The first one is if you have never been baptized, I want to invite you to be baptized. This means something. It means something to you. It is God's way. And it's Jesus, you know, tells us this is how, this is what's happening here is, is the grace of God is being conveyed to you. You already have Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have Christ. But baptism is like, well, it's a profound statement in which God is making a promise to you and saying, you are my dearly loved in which God is communicating to you through the water. I have washed you clean and I will wash you clean. It is God's way of saying, I'm gonna give you the living water of the Holy Spirit so that you can be continually transformed. It is something you call upon and you remember when you know that you are part of a family. You are a child of God, you belong to God. In all of these ways and so much more, this covenant that God has made with you, this rite of initiation, all of this is happening. It's conveyed and communicated through the act of baptism. I would love to invite you to say, it's, it's time, I need to be baptized. So if you've never, ever been baptized, we'd like to invite you to sign up to be baptized. You can go to court.org slash next, and you can find there a place where you can say, I'd like to be baptized next week at Church of the Resurrection, next Saturday, next, excuse me, next Sunday, Labor Day weekend, next Sunday from two to four o'clock at our immersion baptistry, our memorial garden, we're gonna be baptizing people by immersion and people by sprinkling or pouring. And I'll be in the immersion baptistry and, and I'll probably take turns with some of our other pastors, but we're gonna be there to be able to immerse or if you'd rather be sprinkled or poured, we'll do that two to four o'clock on Labor Day weekend. You can go to court.org slash next and you can say, I wanna be a part of that. Wherever you live in the Kansas City area, we'd love for you to join us here. If you're at one of our locations, we want you to be able to go to court.org slash next and you can say, I go to this location and I'd like to be baptized and your pastor will receive a notice about that. And, uh, and we'll talk a bit more about that in your service today. But this is an opportunity for you to be able to say, I need Jesus, what you have to offer. And for him to say, you are mine and I love you and I forgive you and receive the Holy Spirit. And, and you are my child and you are a part of my family. And this is an opportunity for him to say this to you. I wanna encourage you, don't miss out on the grace of baptism. 
And if you've already been baptized, as most of you have, I want to encourage you to remember your baptism. Today, as you're leaving the worship service, I want you to stop. And there are basins of water around all of our, all of our sanctuaries, out the doors. I want you to be able to stop. And you'll see a few, of our, a few of our staff members did this this week just to sort of show you how it looks. So take a look. I do this every time I walk past one of these water features outside the doors of our sanctuary. I always stop and I remember, I am baptized. I belong to you, Jesus. I remember your promises, God. I remember I'm your child. Stop and remember your baptism. It's a chance to renew your commitment to Christ. But in addition to doing that, as you're, and by the way, if you're watching from at home or you know, online from the hospital, from at home, from the prison, wherever you might be, I'd like to invite you to get a cup of water and to be able to do the same right after church, just to be able to take it. And I dip my fingers in, I make the sign of the cross and I just say, Jesus, I'm yours. And I trust in your unfailing love. I receive once more the promises of your baptism. Holy Spirit, come and work in me. Whatever you want to say, but it's an opportunity for you to receive once more the promises made in your baptism. I want you to do that today when service is over. And then I want you to remember your baptism each and every day. So as we remember our baptisms each and every day, uh, I do this in the shower. So every morning, and about 20 years ago, we gave people a, a uh, prayer to hang in their showers. This is the picture of the one that I have in my shower. And uh, our new ones look a little nicer than that, but I've had this for 20 years. And every morning it's memorized. I pray this prayer every morning today. We're handing out at all of our locations this new prayer tag. It's the same prayer. It just is shaped. The octagon is the shape of our baptismal font. And it's meant, the water on there is meant to remind you of the waters of your baptism. And I'd like for us to say this prayer together. If you could say it out loud with me, it goes like this. Let's say it. Lord, as I enter the water to bathe, I remember my baptism. Wash me by your grace, fill me with your spirit, and renew my soul. I pray that I might live as your child today and honor you in all that I do. I want you to imagine praying that prayer every single morning when you're in the shower. I want you to imagine remembering your baptism, remembering the promises of your baptism as you start your day and then living as a baptized follower of Jesus Christ. That's gotta make a difference in your life. I know it has in mine. If you live out of town, if you wanna reach out to us, uh, we can make it possible for you to receive one of these, but we'd like for you to have, if you live in Kansas City, we'd like for you to stop by one of our locations and pick them up. We'll have them available next week as well. And I want you to remember your baptism each day. All right, I wanna end with this. Uh, and I've shared this clip in the past in a sermon, but, but one of my favorite clips about baptism in a film was from the film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Came out in the year 2000. Uh, the film was set in 1937. There's Delmar, Pete, and Ulysses, and they've escaped from a prison chain gang. And, uh, and they're out, uh, you know, searching after hidden treasure, and they come across a baptismal service happening in the river. Take a look. Yes, hard times flush the chump. Everybody's looking for answers. Where's he going? Delmar's been saved. Well, that's it, boys. I've been redeemed. 
The preacher done washed away all my sins and transgressions. It's a straight and narrow from here on out. And heaven everlasting's my reward. Delver, what are you talking about? We got bigger fish to fry. The preacher said all my sins is washed away, including that piggly wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo. I thought you said you was innocent of those charges. Well, I was lying. And the preacher said that that sin's been washed away too. Neither God nor man's got nothing on me now. Come on in, boys. The water is fine. The water is fine. And God is waiting for you to be baptized, to receive all of that grace, or to remember your baptism and let it shape your life. Peter said this in his first sermon ever. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, I pray for all of those who've never been baptized, that this might be a moment, a defining moment of their lives where they might choose to say, I want to be baptized. I need to be baptized. I need you, Jesus, and I wanna follow you. How exciting that is. And I pray that in their baptisms, you would just convey your grace to them and all the gifts that you offer in baptism. And for all the rest of us who've been baptized, who perhaps have forgotten what it meant, maybe we haven't allowed it to be the defining mark of our lives. We pray that from this time forward, when we wake up in the morning, we would remember our baptisms and that it might shape us for the rest of our lives until that day when we see you face to face. We offer our lives to you and we thank you for the gift of baptism in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.